we're so glad you're here. We just love the thought that we can come together on the Hill, and we're glad you're here with us. Yes, we're so excited. We're excited if you could join us online today. Um, we want to encourage you in all of the things that um, we have shared about what it means to worship. Part of worshiping is giving back. So we want to encourage you that we have boxes on the sides of the wall if you want to give of your tithes and offerings, or you can do it online. Um, as you give all over the world, people are being blessed by it. And the Bible tells us that um, as we give, we are blessed. So I want to encourage you with that. I want to encourage you also this morning, I hope you did get your communion cup if you're here with us, or if you're at home, if you want to get your communion, your bread and your wine or your juice. <clears throat> And have that ready. You know, Jesus instituted this for us. And he said to his disciples that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in memory of what I'm doing. So he calls us to commune with him around the table. He invites us to come to the table. And as we come, he says, I'm going to make all things right as you come to me. So this morning, as you take that bread and you take that cup, I ask that you would just be reminded of what Jesus did. Jesus gave his life so that we could have life. He paid our sin debt. And he wants you to live in grace, to give back, and to commune with him, to come into good relationship with yourself, so that then you can have good relationship with others. So right now I'm just going to say a little prayer as you ponder that, and then you can partake of the communion. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you with just praise and honor and thanksgiving that we can come here and also come around your table, Lord. You say there's one Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism, and here we are, Lord, your family around the table. And Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you what you do for us, and we thank you for what you will do for us, Lord. It's all because of you. We give you thanks today, Jesus. It's all about you, and in your name we pray, amen. As you partake of that, I pray that your heart is prepared because you're getting ready to worship. It's going to be awesome, so join us.
Church, as we continue to worship this morning, uh, we as a worship community wanted to share kind of a new song with you all, and it's a song that directly quotes from the book of Numbers, and it's a prayer of blessing. It's a prayer of, of thanking God for the fact that he's been with us up to this point, and that he's going to continue to be with us and with our families for generations to come. And we didn't want to add this just as a just another song in worship. We wanted to add this as it was meant to be, as a prayer for our community and for our nation. So as we sing these words, let them speak to you wherever you're at right now.
say that he is for you all right you can have a seat man i needed that so much today just that reminder that in the midst of whatever's going on he is for you he's not against you and that part of it i just i get so emotional every time i sing that song when that part we talks about and to your children and to their children and to their children and their children it's generational and what we're doing here today and what god is doing in our lives and changing our lives it's not just for us when, when people are coming to Christ and are changing their life, it's generational because it's not just changing them. It's changing their children and their children and their grandchildren that they haven't even met yet their children. And, and man, I don't know what you needed today. I don't know what you brought with you. I don't know what you carried in through the doors, brought out of the parking lot, couldn't leave it in the car and the truck because it's just like, on you it's just like on you but my prayer today is that you'll leave here a little bit lighter that you'll leave here a little bit lighter and that god will allow you to unpack some stuff and to get it off of you and let him take it god i just pray that you'll be with us this morning as we dig into your word god people come into this room right now with all kinds of needs, and they're, they're so different. They're so different, and, and the, the omniscient God that you are, you know all of those needs. 
And in your omnipotence, you have the power to change and to make things new. And, and so, God, we just come today and we, we worship you. And we worship you as we give. We worship you as we commune. We worship you as we sing. We worship you as we pray. And we worship you as we dig into your word. And God, may we give you glory for all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I don't know what was really, <laughs> if, if you could look back and say there was something good about the pandemic for you. But the best thing that happened in the pandemic for us was right off of our deck, there's a big oak tree, and these robins built a nest. Now, this isn't their nest. This is one we found on the street. But these robins built a nest there, and we got to watch them. That's, that's our tree. We got to watch them build the nest and lay the eggs and then see the eggs hatch, and then we got to see Mama come back and to feed them and to clean them and to do all of that. And we got to see when they finally got to the point that they're ready to leave the nest. There were four of them. And the first two, man, they're like some of our kids. First two are ready to get out of the house now. I mean, like, they're boom, they're gone. And there's two more of them that they're like taking their time. And then the last one, like, it did not want to fly at all. It's out just like walking on the limb and everything. got out of the nest. And then he walked back into the nest. And, got out. and the more I watched that, and the more I, after we found this, I thought, you know, these nests, these nests are, are just like the church. Because the church is this place where we can see new life. We can see new life be born. And we can watch it hatch, and we can watch it grow, and we can watch it mature. And then there's some that they get it right, and they're ready to go. Let's go. Let's get this. And there's some that aren't quite ready to leave the nest yet. And and they kind of like staying there, and they kind of like the comfort of the nest. See, we're in this series all year long talking about our focus on Jesus. And and today, today we jump into a brand new mini-series in the mega-series called Jesus, the head of the church. We're going to talk for the next six weeks about the church and Jesus' role in the church and what the church is for. And, and, and I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that the best name for church is just Christ church. Christ church. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's his bride. He's coming back for his bride the church. It's Christ's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not the elders' church. In fact, it's just Christ's church that I attend. I get kind of like uncomfortable sometimes out in the community, and I'll see somebody, and they'll say, I said, Dave, I think I'm going to start coming to your church. I'm like, no, it's not my church, because if it's my church, I'm going to mess it up. It's his church. Now, if you want to come to the church that I attend and I worship at, that I just happen to preach at, then great. But it's not my church. It's not your church. It's not our elders' church. It's, it's Christ's church. So why do we attend? We attend to glorify God. That's number one. It better be. It better be the first reason we attend. But while we're glorifying God, I think that today I want to dig in and see how, see how the church is a place where our needs are met. I'm convinced that the church of Jesus Christ is a place where our needs are met. Maybe better said, it's a place to meet the one who can meet your needs. And that's why we're here. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to look or just follow on the screen, anyway, we're, we're, today we're in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, and we'll start right at the very beginning of it. It says, there were some present there with Jesus at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that those Galileans were worse than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then he answers him, says, No, I tell you, unless you, unless who, unless you, if you've got a Bible and you've got a pen or a highlighter or something, underline the word you. Highlight the word you. Circle the word you. Jesus is about to get real personal. He's about to get inside of them for a second or two there. He says, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he tells another. He said, or is it like the 18 of whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? 
No, I tell you, but unless, here's that word again, unless you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, a lot of times in Scripture, and, and it, was, it was years after Scripture was first written down that, that scholars went back and put chapters and verses in. So sometimes they actually get put in, in places that we maybe are a little bit weird or whatever. Because here's one of those that you really need to be able to see what was going on before that. So at the end of, verse, at the end of chapter 12, Jesus is talking to people about choosing to do the right thing, the right thing. Not this group's right thing, or not that group's right thing, not this person's right thing, or that person's right thing. He, he's saying, why don't you choose for yourself what is right in God's eyes? And then from that, from that, this next teaching comes. See, we can change our world this week with one simple recipe. It's simple. We could, we could all do our part to change the world this week if we would simply do what's right in God's eyes. Right now, from the morning to the evening, and you're coming and you're going. He's with you forever and ever. He will not forsake you. He is for you, not against you. Do the right thing in God's eyes. But then when we say we're going to start doing the right thing in God's eyes, then we kind of maybe sort of, we have to admit that maybe that we've been doing the, the wrong thing sometimes. And that's where the trouble really starts. That's where the trouble started here. Jesus is challenging them about doing the right thing. And some people that were there heard him talking about choosing the right thing. And they immediately, rather than looking at their own self, they immediately start looking at other people and start telling Jesus about all the wrong things that other people are doing. And they bring up these Galileans whose blood got mixed up in the sacrificial blood of the sacrifices at the temple. And you think, well, what's the big deal? Let's see, Pilate, Pilate, uh, who is the one who does this, who had the Galileans killed. Pilate's not a God follower. In fact, he's kind of the opposite of that in all of this, in all this story. And, and Pilate was well known for making sure that he killed people during any kind of religious holiday to take the focus off the holiday and, and bring fear into the people. Sounds somewhat familiar, right? And so he, he, he's doing this. And so on this particular occasion, or not long before this particular occasion, apparently Pilate had some Galileans killed at the same time they were bringing animals or sacrificed at the temple, and the blood got mixed together, and these people are kind of questioning Jesus, going, well, that's wrong, instead of looking at their own wrong. You see... They didn't want to look at their own wrong. They didn't want to look at their own wrong. Then Jesus says, okay, well, if you're, if you're going to play that game and say, well, okay, were these Galileans worse than the Galileans that didn't kill? Does they, they got killed because they did something wrong? No. No. They're in the wrong place at the wrong time. We live in a Genesis 3 world. That's why they died. That's why they died. Then he says, oh, in that tower of Siloam that fell in Jerusalem and 18 people were killed when the tower fell on them. Are you saying those were bad people? What did they do wrong? He said, Nothing. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time because we live in a Genesis 3 world. You see, Jesus is telling them, hey, guys, don't lose sight of this. As long as Satan is roaming the earth and until he is thrown back into the pits of hell for all eternity, we are all, all of us, even these people, these Galileans, these 18 people that got hit by a tower, a falling tower, all of us, you and me, we're all susceptible to bad things happening because we live in a fallen, broken world. It doesn't mean we've done something wrong. Man, can you, I mean, because if you can play that one out, you stop and think of it. If God started killing people as soon as they did something wrong, <laughs> come on. We got an empty room and ain't nobody up here preaching. It's over. It's a wrap. That's not how God works. That's not how God works. Now, we got to get it right. But he didn't immediately just start zapping people. But, but here's the need that Jesus met. See, in the middle of all this, because we're talking about this, the church, or a place where needs are met, Jesus, the focus, here's where Jesus met a need. He quickly pointed the focus back to those who were asking the questions. What Jesus was saying to them was, quit worrying about what they might have done wrong and worry about your own wrong choices. Have you guys seen, it's, I think it's, I'm sure it's on YouTube now. There's a, there's a little short clip on YouTube. It's this little kid in a car seat. 
in the car. And mom or dad or somebody's asking about what they did. And this little kid is in the back of the car. So he goes, you worry about your own self. Just over and over again, they just plays on a loop. You worry about your own self. I, I should have gotten that clip and just had it playing it. You worry about your own self. That's what Jesus is saying to these people. Quit worrying about, quit worrying about these Galileans and which ones were good or bad or was Pilate wrong and what he did. Quit worrying about people that got hit by a falling tower. Worry about your own self. See, you and I can't fix all the wrong that's in the world. But we need to repent of the wrong in our own lives and allow God to start fixing the world one person at a time, starting with us. Healing, healing begins with the individual. And so the first, the first portion of this idea that a church is a place where needs are met, church is a place where needs are met, it, it's met because it's a place to repent. It's not the only place, but it's a place to repent. God, in his ultimate wisdom, allowed his son to come and die for our sins. And then when he went back, he said, now we're going to create this thing called the church that's going to be the vehicle to introduce people to Jesus, who is the ultimate one who takes away the sins of the world. And and the church is a place to repent, to come with our brokenness, to come with whatever. So whatever needs you brought in this morning, and some of them may have been stuff that's going on that you just need to quietly in your own place just repent of because that's what the church is for. Whatever you need today, the church is a place to repent. Let's move on real quick in the scripture, because then Jesus tells a parable. All right? Parables are, are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. In other words, Jesus makes this story up as a way to illustrate what he's trying to teach. And he says, pretend there's a man. A man has a fig tree planted in the vineyard. And he, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, or the one in charge of the vineyard, Look, for three years now I've been coming seeking fruit off this tree, and I find that cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered, Sir, let it alone this year also. One more, give me one more year, one more year, until I dig around it and put on manure, fertilizer, water, and all those things. Then if it should not bear fruit next year, or if it should bear fruit well and good, if not, you can cut it down. This little parable here is about the next need that I think can be met in the church. And that is to release, to release the old things as we repent so that then we can release that is inside of us when we repent and ask Jesus into our life and become filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what you'll be very careful when you read this particular parable. Don't get caught up in the fact that it's a fig tree. That's not what's important here. I mean, an apple tree, an orange tree, a grapefruit tree, whatever kind of tree, all right? But, but what, you, what he's saying here is that tree was created for a purpose. And for whatever reason, at least for three years, it's not been releasing what it was created to do, all right? And, and so the church needs to be this place where we print, repent, but it also needs to be this place where we release what we're created to do. I want you to ask yourself this. If that same guy, that Jesus, the fictitious guy, the made-up guy that Jesus talked about, the story that walked by this fig tree, if that guy walked by you, would he be able to see the Christian fruit hanging on your tree? Would he be able to see, oh, this is great. This, this tree is, is bearing much fruit. You see, the fruit that we're supposed to bear off of our Holy Spirit-infused tree that's found inside of us, that fruit is talked about, Paul talked about it in Galatians chapter 5. Some of you know that. He told us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. That's the fruit that ought to be hanging off of us. If we call ourselves blood-bought, born-again followers of Jesus Christ, that's the fruit that ought to be hanging off us. I love it when I drive around the community now and I see the signs say, be kind. But everybody, it's like that. somebody just thought of that. No, it's been in here for centuries. Just be kind. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Let that fruit come off us. What would happen? What would happen if this week, As soon as we leave here today, if we would make a commitment to prayerfully ask Jesus Christ to help us release those fruits on the world, I think it's a game changer. We just start dropping fruit bombs everywhere. 
Holy Spirit fruit bombs just start hitting everywhere. And it changes stuff. It changes stuff. It changes the way we look at each other, the way we feel about each other. The church is a place to release the old, be filled with the new, so that then we can go in the world and release the new on the world. It's a place to repent. It's a place to release. So what do you need today? What do you need? See, all of us have different needs. And some of the very specific needs, we need to look deeper to see where the specific need is really sometimes telling us something about a bigger need, an inner need. All right? What do you need today? A place to repent? A place to release? Then Jesus goes on, and while he's teaching there in the synagogue, verse 10 and 11, he says, Behold, there's a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. She had back problems for 18 years. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hand on her and he blessed her. And that generation, I wonder how many generations that was going to change. And he blessed her. And he said, You're healed. And, and, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. And then Jesus answered him and said, you hypocrite. Does each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? Uh, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. And as he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus is teaching here. And he just happens to notice, maybe out of his peripheral vision, over the stage, he just notices this lady, and she's all been over. And, and he asked probably, and he finds it 18 years. And what did Jesus do when he saw a need? He met the need. He met the need right then and there. But there's a very important word. I asked you to underline you earlier, but if you still got your pen or your highlighter, look at the very beginning of verse 14. It's the very first word in verse 14. But, but what? Well, but this lady hadn't been able to stand up straight for 18 years. So, so what? See, the problem arose with the three words right before but. There at the end of verse 13, it says, she glorified God. Jesus reaches out and touches her, and she can stand straight and tall and worship, and she glorified God. And, and that presented a problem of epic proportions to the leader of the synagogue who wanted to control people. Through their list of rules and regulations about the Sabbath. They wanted to control people. And so all of a sudden, and he's got this problem of epic proportions, and he speaks up, he's indignant, and he says, you shouldn't do this. And he starts talking about all the things that you shouldn't do on the Sabbath and didn't even realize he's talking to the Lord of the Sabbath. The one who made the Sabbath. The one who's about the Sabbath. See, here's the catch. Rules, rules are critically important in life. I appreciated some already today. I've appreciated some. I appreciate that when I left my house this morning, that for me anyway, and I hope it worked out that way for you, but for me every way, anyway, on my way here this morning, everyone that saw one of those red signs with eight sides on it or a red light, Every one of them stopped. I appreciate that they followed the rules. I appreciate that, at least for me today coming in, nobody crossed the yellow line. I appreciate that they followed the rules. See, rules are critically important in life. But there is very little, if any, refreshing that comes from rules. See, when we're hurting, when people are broken, and when people are hurting, they don't need rules that say, you can't touch me. 
We need a relationship that says, I care about you too much not to touch you, not to hug you, not to help you. And Jesus says, oh, sweetheart, today you're healed of your disability. 18 years? Come on. That's how long we got the kids at the house. <clears throat> 18 years. I think worship is designed to glorify God and to breathe a breath of fresh air. It may have hit you today during communion. It may have hit you during one of these scriptures. It may have hit you during one of those songs. But I hope today is a day of refreshing. So I ask you again, what do you need? Church is a place. The church of Jesus is a place where needs are met. It's a place to repent. It's a place to release. It's a place to refresh. And then Jesus puts the bow on the teaching, starting in verse 18. He says, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I compare? How can I describe where I've been and where I'm going and where you get to go? What's the kingdom of God like? And then he said, it's like this grain of a mustard seed. The smallest of seeds in all creation. The very smallest of seed that the, the man took and sowed in the garden and it grew and became a tree or this bush and the birds of the air could build a nest in it. See, Jesus finishes these moments of interaction with this story about this tiny little seed that grows into bush, mustard bushes, plants, whatever I guess they're called, mustard things. They're, it's the smallest of seed, and they might be a tree like an apple tree, but they're this huge bush. They grow to be 8 to 12 feet tall and, and, and wide. It's a significant plant, and the branches in it are big enough that birds can come and build nests and lay eggs and have babies and watch those babies grow and watch them release out of the world. And so the smallest thing there is becomes a vehicle for what God wants to do, and, and birds' lives, and birds need nests to come into the world. Birds need nests to survive. Like my little bird, my little number four baby Robin, that would get out of the nest, but he wasn't ready to fly, and he wanted to come back into the nest. And see, sometimes we need a place to come back into. We need a place to come back in. We need a place of refuge. You see, that's what a nest is for birds. It's a place of refuge, a place of safety. And sometimes we get so caught up and think, well, I can't do that. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. And Jesus said, I can take the smallest little something. Maybe that's you. And I can do something significant. You see, a mustard bush is a world changer for a bird that builds, needs to build a nest. And we can be world changers from the smallest things and build a place of refuge because we all need a place to feel safe, don't we? We all need a place that we can feel safe. I want you to look, look at this. Look at our circles up here one more time. You've seen them coming up all morning, but have you noticed the red arrows in the middle? I haven't mentioned them now. But what I want you to notice is those red arrows are a reminder that this whole process just keeps going and going and going. And it's a cycle. And we come into it and we need to repent of our sins and accept Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And then the Holy Spirit comes to fill us and fills us up with fruits that we need to release so that we and other people can be refreshed. And then sometimes, though, life gets hard, right? But God is good. And so we need a place of refuge to come back to so that we can get it right again. And then we can start again. Oh, the whole thing and we can repent again and release again and maybe along the way we can bring somebody with us hey how about that we can bring somebody with us and they can repent and be released and refreshed and refuse and it's a cycle that just goes on and on and on a place where needs are met bottom line what's your greatest need today What's your greatest need today? I, I really want to challenge you to be honest about that. What's your greatest need today? 
that Jesus, maybe through the church, could meet, could meet? It's like the writer of Numbers said, here's what the Lord wants to do. The Lord wants to bless you. The Lord wants to keep you. The Lord wants to make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord wants to turn his face toward you. The Lord wants to give you peace. Peace. Maybe God's moved in some way today that's caused you to have some kind of decision, some kind of thing you need to work through prayer. I'll be down here at the front after it's over. But I want us to pray as we leave. I want us to pray as we leave, and I want us to stand to pray as we leave. Would you all stand with me? I want you to bow your heads and just let this song, just let this song be a prayer of blessing, be a prayer of blessing over you today.